Hey, uh, if, for those of you who are new here, my name is John. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And for the last few weeks, we've been working our way through our series we're calling Citizenship. Um, and throughout the series, we've been highlighting some of the major divisions that we're experiencing right now throughout our society. And what we wanted to do in this series is take many of those major divisions in our country right now and shine the light of the scriptures on those divisions um, to help us understand how in the world are we as followers of Jesus to wade through all the division, all the taking sides that are going on in our country right now? How can we be faithful to Jesus in the midst of that? And so uh, three weeks ago, Pastor Chuck kicked off our series um, and he challenged us in a really broad sense to stop placing so much energy into the polarization that's happening in our country and instead to find our identity and our place first in the kingdom of God, our citizenship in the kingdom of God first. Uh, and then the week after that, we talked about the power of identity politics and how we cannot let um, our identity or identity politics have the last say about who we are or who they are. Um, for as followers of Jesus, we see everyone, including ourselves, in the light of the good news of Jesus and the good news of Jesus first. And then last week, we talked about politics. It's been a fun series, hasn't it? Talking about politics. Um, and Pastor Chuck showed us that the model of Jesus says that there is room in this church, there is room in the people of God for red and blue and independent and everything in between. There's room for that here because we're not here because of the politics. We're here because of Jesus. Jesus comes first was last week. Now this week, we're going to close out the series and we're going to address one of the ways that we're divided in our society, um, and I would argue in our church, that is far less impassioned in our country, and yet I might argue far more pervasive in our country. And we're gonna see what the scriptures teach us about the major divisions that we all experience in our lives regarding socioeconomics. Now if you're thinking, cool, What's socioeconomics? Well, let me share that with you. We're talking um, the way we divide ourselves uh, based upon our income levels, based upon the type of work that we work, um, based upon education, based upon the neighborhoods that we live in, in our neighborhoods and cities and towns. So we're going to talk about that today. It's one of the major divisions, I would argue, in our society and even in our church today. And so to get us there to talk about the topic, we are going to turn to the scriptures. Um, our scripture reading this morning is found in Deuteronomy 26, starting in verse 1. I encourage you as a church, there's something about when we're together that we have the word of God open before ourselves. And so I invite you to open your scriptures there to Deuteronomy 26. It's the fifth book of the Bible. And then if you're like, cool, but I didn't bring my Bible, I bet you have a smartphone and you can Google it. Deuteronomy 26, and you can follow along there as well. And our scripture reader this morning is Brandon Gennert. He drew the short straw and got the longest scripture we've read in a while. So Brandon, you can head on up when you're ready. In church, what we do when we read scripture together is we stand for the reading of God's word. We face the center of the room where the scripture is read from. And we do so because it is the scriptures that we take as truth. This, it's the scriptures first. Um, it's not what's out there. It's what's in here. And so, Brandon, when you're ready, take it away. Deuteronomy 26, starting in verse 1. When you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and set to, settled in it, Take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you, and put them in a basket. 
When you go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling in his name, and say to the priest in the office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramanian, and he went down into, the, into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs of wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given us. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before them. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given you, given to you in your household. Thanks, Brandon. You all may take a seat. Now, if that passage was really clear to you, I, I, what I think would be helpful is where in the world, in the, in the narrative of the scriptures, in the story of the scriptures, is this moment taking place? I think that will help us this morning. Um, our scripture reading is found after the story of the Exodus, um, the story of the plagues, the splitting, the splitting of the Red Sea, all that stuff, after all of that stuff happens. And then our scripture reading happens before the Hebrew people make it into the land that God has promised to them. And so the Hebrew people in this moment are currently wandering around the Sinai Desert, following the Lord day in and day out, really not sure where they're headed, just following the Lord. Now, the book of Deuteronomy, where our passage comes from, is one of those books in the Bible that I would argue we read the least. And that is for a reason. Because the book of Deuteronomy is filled with a bunch of rules, a bunch of commands, and a bunch of how-tos. And we are never really all that excited about that for some reason. Um, same with the book of Leviticus. And you see, for these Hebrew people wandering around in the desert following the Lord, these rules and these commands and these how-tos were vital to them, life-giving to them. Because the people, the, the Hebrew people had just left a long season of slavery in Egypt. They spent a long season being treated as less than human. Uh, they spent a long season with their value in the society that they found themselves hovering around the zero mark, right? In Egyptian society, they were like the bottom of the barrel. Um, they had spent a long season living in a land that was not their own and had to learn to follow the rules of the land they found themselves in, in Egypt, follow the Egyptian rules and how the Egyptians lived their lives. And so they needed help as they have left Egypt to develop new rules new laws, and new order for a new society that God was going to set up when they get to the promised land. And so that's really what the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus is. Um, Deuteronomy is sort of a, a how-to guide to live as a newly independent people in a new society. It's a framework for a new society. Now what's buried in the midst of all of these rules and commands and how-tos in our, is, is our scripture reading. Um, actually, if you have your Bible open to Deuteronomy, what you'll see is at the end of this long, long writing on commands and how-tos and uh, rules, all of that stuff, when you get to the end of that, that's when we get to our scripture reading this morning. It's kind of the conclusion to that. 
Now this morning, I want you to see what is happening in our passage. Because I think it's really interesting what the Lord commands the Hebrew people to do once they enter the land. Um, So the passage goes, when you enter the land, you're going to probably farm some goods, right? You're going to hit hit up the land, you're going to farm it, and you're going to get to the point when you get to a harvest. And in Deuteronomy, the Lord says, take the first fruits of the first things that you harvest, take those, the passage says, if you're following along, you can see it in the passage, it says, put them in a basket, put them in a basket, Now, these are um, exactly what they had in the ancient world, I think. We didn't find these in the closet over there. Uh, Very fresh grapes. Put your first fruits in in a basket, the passage says. And then when you put your first fruits in the basket, it says walk over to the place where the Lord has designated his dwelling will be. And so you put your first fruits in a basket and then you walk over to where the Lord's dwelling is. It's probably a tent in this time. And when you find yourself there, um, you stop and there's a priest standing before you at this tent and you say these words, these very specific words. You say these words, right? You stand there, the priest is there, you're at the tent. You say, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. And then you hand your basket of first fruits off to the priest. The priest takes them and then sets them down in front of the altar. And so as that's sitting there like that, you have more words to say. Could you imagine coming to church and you have to memorize all these words to say, right? And that's what happens here. You're standing in front of the tent. The priest has just taken your, your first fruit offering And then you stand there staring at the priest, standing at the offering, staring at this is where the Lord's dwelling is. And then you tell this story, the passage says. Listen to this. It starts in uh, verse 5. Listen to this. You stand there and you say, My father was a wandering airman, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice, saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place, gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Now, when you're done speaking that long, can you imagine? You had to memorize that and come to church and say it to the priest. Yeah, right? You're standing there. When you're finished saying those words, you reach down, you grab the basket, and you place it before the Lord. My guess is you're placing it on the altar. It's really not clear in the scriptures, but that's what would make sense here. You place it before the altar. And then what the passage says is, once you have done this, the priest is standing there. You're standing right here. You've just set the first fruits in front of the altar. It says, you bow down. Now, in our day, when we think bow down, we think either like the the Englishman bow, like, hey, sir, you know, like, no, that's not what's happening. We might even think bow down, like get on a knee, something like that, like we're getting knighted or something. No, no, no. Bowing down in this time period was way more intense than that. You bow down by laying fully prostrate on the ground. You bow down before the Lord, face down, like this. Think of the imagery, by the way, of that. 
And once you have bowed down, the pastor says, you head back out. The Levites are there. The foreigners are there. Your family is there. And you celebrate. You are filled with joy in that moment. It's a really odd thing to kind of play out in the scriptures, isn't it? Like, what in the world? Why in the world would God make the Hebrew people do that? Like, what is the purpose of a strange ritual like that? Now, the best word that I can come up with to describe the purpose of that ritual in the Old Testament would be the word restoried. Restoried. The purpose of this very specific ritual is to remember the real story about the Hebrew people again and to remember who exactly it was that got me to where I am, where I have first fruits at all again. It is God who saved me from slavery in Egypt. It is God who didn't just find me land to take, but actually gave me land as an inheritance. It was God that did that. It is God who allowed my fields to grow and to ripen so I can eat another day, so my family can make it one more day in this life. In fact, there's um, one part of our passage in our scripture reading that I want to highlight to you. If you have your Bible, take a look at verse 5. Verse 5 a second. Kind of halfway through verse 5. It's when, when you're supposed to start telling this story in front of the priest as you're standing um, in the Lord's dwelling. The line is, my father was a wandering airman. My father was a wandering airman. That's where I came from. My family, before the Lord, was scraping by, living the lowest quality of life possible. We were drifters. We had no home. We had no security. We had no fields. We had no dependable food source. We had no inheritance. We had no property. We had nothing. That is where I came from. That is who I am. And I find myself standing in the presence of the Lord with stability and resources and land. And who's responsible for that? It's the Lord. It's the Lord that's responsible for that. Now, church, one of the things I think we need to be honest with ourselves about is that that origin story, sacred ritual moment is nearly the antithesis of the stories that we tell about ourselves today. It's nearly the opposite, isn't it? Um, The way we frame our stories today is through what? It's through utility, It's through our personal choices. It's through our passion, our drive. Um, A a buzzword these days, it's through our grit, right? We, We had grit, we got it done. At the end of the day, our story that we tell ourselves is not about what the Lord did, it's about what I did. Um, One of the stories that we love to hear most is the story of the person that powered through adversity and conquered the adversity that they found themselves in, right? There's the story of the poor person who came from a troubled family, and that person had the grit and the tenacity and the perseverance. Um, Everything was stacked against them, but they had all of these characteristics, and they powered through. And how did that person power through despite all the difficulty in their life? It was through personal choice, personal utility, through working hard to get the A's, right? Despite the difficult family life. 
The person who had the foresight to go to school, they worked two to three jobs to make it through school. They ended school and they were loan free, right? Like, wow, they did it. The person who was relentless toward their business venture and they worked hard and hard and hard for it and they got their business. Like, that's the story that we love to hear. Our modern story today is a story about us and the decisions that we make, isn't it? That we make our own destiny in this life. And then as followers of Jesus, what many in the church, I would argue, were guilty of doing is we take that story about this is what I did, I accomplished this, I had the grit, I had the tenacity, and then we take the Christian bumper sticker and then place it over top of that and we kind of add the, you know, with God's help or something like that. But we know who the real mover and shaker is in our story, right? Well, it's, it's us. Like God might be the coach on the sidelines saying you should do that thing next. Okay, yeah, but I'm the one on the field actually making the plays, right? And so what we have are two competing stories about ourselves. You have the biblical story, and then you have the story that our society tells us uh, that we ought to believe about ourselves. We, we have the biblical story. My father was a wandering Aramean. I came from nothing and God did all of this for me. And then we have our modern story. I have what I have. I've accomplished what I've accomplished. I've gotten to where I am today because I did it for myself. I got it done. I did the things. Now today, as, as I said earlier, uh, we're talking about one of the big divides in our lives. Um, like the big hot button ones are you know, gender, human sexuality, race, politics right now. Those things are controlling the narrative on the news and the things we read and the conversations we have at amazing scales, I would argue, these days. I would also argue, though, that the divide that we experience over socioeconomics is so much greater and pervasive than any of those other divisions. Because socioeconomics, like our income, uh, where we live, our education, uh, what collar we may have on when we're at work, those things in our society are amazing, amazingly limiting if we're on one end of that spectrum, and they're amazingly uh, free-filled if we live on the other side of that spectrum. Socioeconomics shapes our lives in ways that nothing else does. Um, it guides where you can live. It guides the friends that we have, the circles that we run in, and the jobs that we work and here's the deal. The socioeconomic story that you believe most about yourself will hugely impact the way you see yourself. And frankly, hugely impact the way you see everyone around you in your life. Think about it this way. If I believe that fundamentally I am responsible for everything that's happened in my life, like all the good stuff, all that I've achieved, all the things I've gained, and then I succeed in my life, dude, that's great for me, right? I'm an amazing person. Look at me. Like, I did it. I nailed it. What if I fail with that belief? What if my business venture doesn't work out 
the way that it was supposed to? What if I find myself, for whatever reason, working a low-income job, kind of scraping by in life? Well, well, then that's also on me, right? I'm a bad person, aren't I? And it's not just about me. It's about the way that we view the people around us using kind of socioeconomics to understand people, right? If we believe that we are fundamentally responsible for all the success, all the goodness that happens in our lives, we will treat other people we see as successful, like those, those, those success stories in life. We will treat those people with so much more respect. We will give so much more value to those people. And those other people, the unsuccessful, uh, the socioeconomic lesser people, well, we might see those people and we've got a long list of adjectives to describe people like that, right? Man, those people are lazy. They're lazy. Those people are pathetic. Maybe it's more crude than that. Maybe those, those people are idiots. They're idiots. Those people, oh, they're untrustworthy. They're losers, whatever. We've got a long list of adjectives to talk about stuff like that. Because fundamentally, if we believe that we are responsible for every good thing that happens in our lives, well, they are all of those things, if that's what we believe. They are losers. And we certainly wouldn't find ourselves being close with those people, would we? At least not willingly, would we? Man, we're above them. Like, we figured out life. They haven't figured it out. Like, let's keep them far away from us. You know, this may sound harsh, and I'd say I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to anyone else this morning. If we find ourselves having friends and associating with people that largely just look like us, right? We've probably bought into the lie that someone in a different socioeconomic class is either better than us or worse than us. We bought into that lie. In fact, let's take it a step further this morning. Um, TFRC in uh, the Magic Valley has all kinds of different reputation, doesn't it? You've probably heard some stories. Um, the first thing I hear when people ask about TFRC is like, oh, is, like, that's the church by the hospital, right? You've probably heard that before. Um, I've also heard, isn't that the church with the Dutch people? I've heard that one. I, they didn't say it positively or negatively. They just say, you know, they're just naming it. Um, I've also heard, oh man, that's the rich church. Have you heard that? I've heard that so many times from people out in our community. Why do people say that? Why do people say that? You know, if we're honest, we are a fairly affluent church. We are like a middle class, upper middle class church. Why is it that so many people that find themselves in lower socioeconomic places can't seem to stick here. Why is that? You know, we could argue it's their fault. Like, they didn't get plugged in. They didn't take the initiative. They didn't do the things. They didn't try to meet somebody. They didn't go to the Bible study, whatever, whatever it may be. Maybe. It, it, it could be a little bit of that. But the fact is, lower class families have a harder time here because they have a harder time finding friends here and community here than the rest of us do. And I would argue, though that may be on them, we hold a large portion of the blame for that one. We are responsible for that. 
do you have any friends, real friends, don't justify it to yourself, that are all that socioeconomically different from you? Do you? I know I have some work to do on this one. You know, the Bible tells us that our successes in life are not our own. My father was a wandering airman. There's some practical implications to what that means, and I just kind of want to name three things quickly. Um, the first is this. If that is true, all of what we have, whether we think we've worked hard for it or not, is a gift from the Lord. All of it is a gift. And if that's true because of this, um, you and I are no different from other people from different socioeconomic classes. We are no different fundamentally. Our worth, our, why we matter is no different than those people. It's no different. And third, because of this, there is no excuse to not be connected to the them, whoever the them might be. You know, a challenge for us this morning would be to broaden our circles just a little bit in our lives. In the name of Jesus, seeing everyone through the eyes of Jesus, broaden our circles just a little bit. You know, what, one of the practices that Jesus had in the New Testament was he would eat with the outcasts and the sinners and the tax collectors. What if we made those people a part of our lives too? That's how Jesus did it. Do you have any close friends that look wildly different from you when it comes to socioeconomics? And if not, church, we've got work to do. Amen? got work to do. Uh, for the last few weeks, uh, we've gone through some of the deepest divides in our country. Um, and every week, no matter what the topic or divide has been, the message has remained the same. Like every single week. I don't know if you've noticed this. Um, you are not your gender. You are not your sexuality. You are not your race. You are not your politics. You are not your socioeconomic status. In fact, those people on the other side, neither are they. Neither are they. They are not their gender. They are not their sexuality. They are not their race. They are not their politics. They are not their socioeconomic status. It's all the same message. And fundamentally, the truth, the biblical truth in the middle of this is if you choose, you are in Christ, and that's all that matters. You're in Christ. None of those other things have any bearing on you and the people around you. You are in Christ. You are God's people, your brothers and sisters, your God's family. Jesus called you his, and the exclamation point to Jesus calling you his is that cross right there, right? You are in Christ, and we should treat everyone in the same manner. Everyone in the same manner. We forget this, don't we? We forget this. You know, it's why the Hebrew people had to go back to the tents of the Lord's dwelling season 
after season after season after season and do the weird rituals season after season after season because they would forget who they really are and they would forget who they really are. They'd forget. Have we forgotten? Have we forgotten? Um, each family this morning, um, on the way in, you should have sat down and been like, hey, there's an off-brand Sharpie marker here. Cool. Um, if you have that, I'd like you to pull it out here a second. Pull out, pull out your off-brand Sharpie marker. Um, last service, when I asked people to pull it out, there's a bunch of people that like, held it up like a torch. I thought that was great. Um, on the screen here uh, should pop up a list of the identities we've talked about, and then I just added a bunch onto it. And I bet there's a million more that we could add onto that list. Um, I know for a fact that in my life personally, I am wrapped up in some of those things in ways that detract from my value as in Christ. I know that that's true for me. I get stuck in identities. It's just part of who we are as humans. And I would be willing to bet that every single person in this room, every single person streaming online is wrapped up in one of these identities or perhaps an identity off this list that they need to let go of. Um, today, as we close out this series, it's an opportunity for us. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a minute and I'm going to ask you to do three things. Three things. They're on the screen so you can't forget um, first, I want you to prayerfully pick one of those identities that you believe the Lord might be calling you to put away from yourself, to put down, to let it lose its prominence in your life. You know, maybe for you, it's work. It's such an easy one for us. Maybe it's work. Maybe you are so wrapped up in your identity of the work that you do, the thing you do with your hands, uh, that God's... Uh, let it go, man. Like you got, it's time to let that go. Maybe it's politics. Maybe right now your identity is so wrapped up in the craziness of our politics. You are listening to it when you wake up and you're watching it when you go to bed. Like you're just stuck in the news sources. You're overly passionate about it. That's all you want to talk about. Maybe it's more complicated than that for you. You know, maybe th this morning you've got some deep identity struggles going on. Maybe you do have a struggle going on around your gender or your race or your sexuality or some hurt that happened to you when you were younger that you've carried and it's become who you are. What I want you to do is pick one. Let the Lord show it to you. And once you've picked one, um, what I'd like you to do, if you're with a family or you're with your friends, I'd like you to confess that to your family, whoever that might be. Say, this is the one that the Lord is saying, i got to deal with this one. And then I want you to, as a group, or if you're alone, you know, confess that to the Lord. Pray that the Lord will loosen that identity's grip on you. To let it go. To accept the fact that you are in Christ if you're in faith. And after you prayed, I'm going to take your Sharpie marker out. You know, we, we have all these identities. They're like badges on us. But the one identity that matters is our identity that we are in Christ. And just take a Sharpie. Find a place on your body. Be appropriate about this. And just take that Sharpie and mark a cross on yourself. 
It's a permanent marker for a reason. It's a long-lasting reminder. Oh, yeah, I'm not those things. I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. And perhaps whenever we encounter those people, the people on the other side, whoever that may be for us, we would look down and go, oh, no, I need to see them like Jesus sees them. That's how I need to see them. So I'm going to give you a minute or two and take some time with the Lord, take some time with your family, and, and kind of work your way through those three things. Let's, let's go ahead and do that. you have it? Did you find the one that's just got that hold on you? Did you, did you offer it to the Lord? Did you, did you mark yourself, this is who I really am, right? This is who I really am. Church, the world out there is going to be stuck in this crazy battle for identity until the Lord comes back. The only people that can transcend to this moment is you. It's you. We have work to do, amen? Let's get on with the Lord's business. Let's not get trapped in this stuff. Let's transcend the moment. Let's be Jesus to the community around us. And let's see what the Lord does with that. Let's pray. God, there's something in us that longs to know who we are and why we matter in this world. And it's so obvious when we look out at the world, all the places that people are trying to find the answers to that, God. And we know the truth. We know the truth that it's only in you that we find who we really are, that our soul finally finds its rest. God, help us to to walk away from those identities that have that hold over us and to step into the reality of being in Christ, of being your people, of being your children. God, make us a church that transcends the craziness of the moment we find ourselves in. God, make us a church that doesn't see people for all of their identities, but sees them as created in the image of God. Sees them like Jesus would see them. Walks with them, even when they feel different than us. And God, perhaps the light of Jesus, the good news of Jesus might be spoken through us because of that. Make us a church where that happens on a mass scale where our cities and our neighborhoods uh, might experience revival because of that. That TFRC might be known as the place where, man, like those people care about people. It's amazing. Let us be that, God. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that you have us. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen, church?